Welcome to Uphill Conversations. Everything in life worth having is uphill. You can't go uphill with downhill habits. It's time for another show with your host, Tim Pecoraro. Are you ready to be inspired? Well, hello and welcome to Uphill Conversations. I'm your host, Tim Pecoraro, and I am so glad you can join me today as you are living your life and heading towards your emerging future. Hopefully you are eliminating any downhill habits and canceling out any and all agreements with limiting beliefs. And yes, it is true. You can be more, do more, and have more. So this is episode 19, and I am pretty pumped about this one. We're going to get around the topic of mental toughness. And there's nothing, nothing to me better than having a strong mind. I like to, the soccer teams I coach, little kids, I love to get with them and tell them about their strong mind. I always line them up and say, you have a strong mind, a strong heart, and a strong body. And they say it with me. It's a, it's a great thing. These are seven-year-olds, by the way. Teach them that now, and man, I wonder how far they can go. So thank you for all of your support. And if you have not subscribed or joined uh, my podcast community, I would love that you do so. Go to stitcher.com and look up Uphill Conversations, or you can go to iTunes and you can do it there as well under podcast, Uphill Conversations. Don't forget to rate and review the show. That would be great. Or you can just go to the website, uphillconversations.co, not .com, and you can connect with me there. So also I'm going to be doing uh, some coaching days coming up where I'll be answering some questions, coaching questions, not just how-tos of doing things. It's helping you to unlock and get more information. I'm not going to solve a problem for you. I'm just going to speak to it. So it doesn't matter what it's about, life, career, transition, um, whatever it is, send me the question and I will do my very best uh, to give you some guidance there. Send those questions to connect at Uphill Conversations. .co. So imagine refining your grit by way of the FBI. Just imagine if you could do that. Well, today my guest, who was a former FBI counterintelligence agent, uh, moved from fashion into the FBI. And we're going to talk all about this thing called mental toughness. And I really do believe this is good for anyone and everyone. So I'm going to let her do all the talking on this. And um, what was great was knowing that she didn't have any questions for me after we were done with the interview uh, saying, hey, I picked up on a few things there. Anyways, I, uh, I did make that joke to her and she said I was safe. I was good. But without any further delay, let me turn you over to my guest today. Wonderful, wonderful person, Lorray Kwai. Hey, Lorraine, how are you? I'm doing well, and thank you so much for having me as your guest today. Excellent, excellent. And so, um, you know, I, in the intro, I, I do talk a little bit about your background, and a lot of people will be curious as to know, and I know there's other uh, places where you've shared your story um, regarding, you know, how you are. I think you were in uh, maybe a department store sales. Is that correct? And then... I. Yes, it's true. So to pick up from there, kind of let them know how you went from, you know, this department store sales thing right into uh, the world of being in the FBI. Well, certainly, Tim, I, um, like many people, when they get out of uh, college, they ask themselves, you know, what, you know, where is my passion? What do I love to do? And as a female, I thought, oh, I love to shop. And there was an executive management training program uh, that a department store was um, interviewing for at my at my university, and I thought, oh, this is perfect for me. I can become a, a fashion buyer, and won't that be fun? So I, uh, I I quickly found out. I spent three years there, and um, I, I it quickly just just um, drained the life out of me. Um, I, I, at the end of the day, I would come home and and say to myself, so. What I'm going to be doing with my life is essentially this, convincing women to buy polka dot instead of striped. 
And I mean, I, I and I didn't I didn't like the work. I didn't like the what my legacy would be. Um, and so I went back to get my master's degree at Arizona State. And while I was on campus, uh, the FBI came on, uh, came up, was, they were interviewing. And so I thought, well, why not? Basically, why not? It, it would certainly be different than what I'm doing now. And um, when I got in there to get in this interview, they you know, wanted to know all about my background. And I was born and raised on a cattle ranch in Wyoming. And, and Wyoming can be a very tough place to grow up. Fast food is hitting a deer at 60 miles an hour. I mean, <laughs> it's just a very different mindset. And they really liked the scrappiness and the grit. Uh, as I told my story of growing up on this cattle ranch, a very remote uh, cattle ranch in the middle of Wyoming, and uh, growing up poor, basically in poverty, and having to work my way through school. And they listened to all of that, and they said, you know, we like your story. We want to invite you back for more interviews and more tests. And I thought to myself, what do I have to lose? Uh, because I did know one thing, that upholding these the federal laws of this country is important. And right. I knew my job would be important, that I would be doing something to benefit uh, mankind. And so, boy, I just followed my nose at that point and the doors opened. And I can just say, I, I believe in divine providence. I believe I was meant to move in that direction. And that was the path for me. So in a nutshell, uh, just a few months later, I was at the FBI Academy. Wow. That's incredible. And I mean, was it an enjoyable time for you? I mean, being there, I mean, did you, would you say that it was a... a, a, a um, I hated it. I hated <laughs> the academy as bad as I, I, I'm like, like, oh my God, did I just jump from the frying pan into the fire? Um, because I was surrounded. Let me just tell you my first day at the academy. So, I mean, everybody is, is tough and buff. And I mean, you walk in, my class was 40 people. I think we had six women at that point. And so, you know, everybody was to stand and talk about what got them to the FBI. And so a guy in front of me stood up and said he had been uh, with special forces in Northern Africa, you know, working with terrorists. And a guy to my right said, you know, he had, he had um, worked with the, against the mob as a prosecutor in New York. And some guy on my left said he was a state trooper that had got shot at a few times in New Jersey. And then I stood up and yeah. I said, I was a fashion buyer at a high end department store. <laughs> and I mean, everybody turned their head to get a look at the fluff ball that had accidentally gotten into the FBI because I, I did not fit in. And but, you know, I thought, wait a minute, this is where that grit that scrappiness, that determination, that mental toughness I learned from a kid, as a kid, was going to really be refined and put through the test of fire. So it was a very hard time for me on almost every level. I didn't fit in to what the typical FBI agent looked like or sounded like. I didn't have their background. Um, the physical part of it was very tough for me. I wasn't I didn't realize how much of an athlete I was not. Um, I did very well in firearms. And I did very well on the academic. So I did fine. But the uh, physical part was really tough for me. What's What I love is uh, in your story is the fact that just the uniqueness, you know, that it was your, it's who you are. It's your uniqueness. It's what you bring to the table. It's your fingerprint. You know, it's that... You know, I, you know, um, I read somewhere, I think it was Srini Rao um, in his book, Unmistakable, and he talked about how our DNA is and how it's like 99.9%. I'm probably gonna get that off somewhere, but some very tiny, tiny little percentage is different. So every human being has this exact match. And the way you're discovered is from that very small separation. Same thing with like your fingerprint. And I like how you're saying that you didn't fit. How does this person here, like you did well with these certain things, but you weren't the typical or the pro prototype, which leads right into what I believe and why you do this whole thing with mental toughness and that grit, the side of grit. And I love your recent blog on, you know, why you need grit and and that was something really that intrigued me, knowing that we were going to have this conversation because of the fact that 
managing emotions, things like that, that people struggle with, that they don't know how to lean into their struggles. Um, and, and there's a lot of whining, you know, lots of lots of whining. And, and you see it time and time and time again. But in your story, that's not what I hear you saying. I hear you talking about, you know, it was different. It was a challenge. How did you fit? But I didn't hear you talking about any complaining or whining. I didn't hear you say that you didn't lean in. You did find out what you were strong and good at. But at the same time, what I really liked was I hear everything that you're saying sounds as if you learned a lot about emotions. So let's start right there. Let's start about start there in the place where people really get out of whack emotionally. We've seen it with our elections recently. I mean, there's so many tales of so many things that, I, you know, and I'm one of those people, I have my owner's mind person. I believe in owning yourself, own your thinking, own your feelings, own your outcomes. It's not someone else's responsibility. But if you could, when it comes to mental toughness, what are people omitting, leaving behind, ignoring, whatever it may be that gets them so out of whack emotionally? It's a great, uh, great question. And I love your attitude. Um, I'm with you 100 uh, percent. While luck can factor in to some degree, I think we manufacture a lot of our own luck. And um, just so it's very clear, I can't I was I was raised in poverty. I, I, I had no advantages whatsoever except my attitude. And um, I was not going to be defeated. I, I will say that my grandmother uh, had ammo on her Christmas list. So I grew up around a tough bunch of people that um, you, 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 you don't want to be called a crybaby. So I had that background coming into life, which whether it was these, the world of fashion or the FBI served me well. Um, you don't whine about things if they don't go right if you're an FBI agent. Uh, the definition of working an investigation is the fact that you do not know the answers, that things will not go right, that they will not fall in place unless you doggedly keep at it. Uh, that's why they're called investigations. So um, it, it was a good match in that respect. And what I had learned in my childhood, the Bureau, the Academy simply built on that. Um, uh, so let's get to emotions. I agree with you. People don't know what to do with them. And, and I'm just going to define mental toughness to begin with. It is managing your emotions, your thoughts, and your behavior in ways that will set you up for success. Mm. That, that is primary right there. So there are four components, what I, what I call components of mental toughness. One is emotional competency. And a lot of people refer to it as emotional intelligence, but I'm going to refer to it as competency because uh, the, you, um, you have to be, I know a lot of people who are intelligent, right? but they're not necessarily competent. Right. And it, it, so competence is a lot more, re, is a more relevant term than intelligence. Um, and competence is about action while intelligence is about knowledge. Hmm. So, um, you know why theories are nice, evidence is better, our lives are our evidence, and the only way you can become emotionally competent is to understand yourself. This goes back into the self-awareness. And I tell you, when I start talking about mental toughness, people always think it means bulldozing your way through obstacles. Right. And that won't work in football, yeah. but it is not going to work in business and life. Right. So the first place to start is understanding yourself, understanding where your strengths are, where you shine and build on those strengths. Look at your weaknesses. Don't pretend they don't exist because they do. Right. So find them, acknowledge them. And when you, when you find them and uncover them and look at them, you're ahead of the game. You know, then you know what they are and don't necessarily waste time working on weaknesses. Learn how to manage them. I mean, that's the big thing. And I think when it comes to emotions, that's what people don't understand. So I, when you understand and know what your pressure point is, you know what to expect. You can predict your response mm. when confronted with the unknown. Mm. And that allows you to land on your feet because you can predict your response. And if you can predict it, you can control it. 
Right. So I'm 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 a big one on um, you know, help your kids, help your kids by 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 talking to them about what they're what they're really feeling. Help help them get in touch with their emotions, even the negative ones. And that's what really kind of upsets me, I guess, about so many people today and parents. It's all about you know, being positive and, and we'll just pretend the negative is not there. We will deny it. We will uh, just tamp it down so that it's not there. We're only going to focus on what is going to make you look like a superstar. Well, that's all fine and good until this negative emotion that you were just describing, Tim, bubbles up to the surface. Right. If you don't know how to deal with it, you know what? That makes you a loser because you can't predict how you're going to respond to to that emotion showing up at a very unexpected and perhaps uncomfortable time. Right. And and I love what you said about emotional competency because, you know, I'm a big emotional intelligence person and I do agree with you that it is emotional competency as well. So what I wrote down as you were saying that was, you know, the what you're saying basically is being competent with the self-awareness, which yes. is the is the and those combined make the intelligence <laughs> like that's to, exactly right you know and 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 i like also what you're saying about you know the you know not overlooking these negative things because they are real because you're tr it's right a lot of parents they want to shield everything shield this shield that nobody wants to say that this went wrong and i yeah. believe that you know what um and, you know, uh, even as a, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a believer. And one of the things is like, I like what Paul says, biblically, Paul says, you know, had it not been for the law, I wouldn't known I was in sin. So I think a lot of times we, that's a roadmap. Your mistakes are a great roadmap for you to be able to discover what you truly and ultimately can do. But I also, um, when you were, uh, uh, just in the whole thing about the kids and the things that are happening, what you're doing here, you're, if you're not careful, you're giving them a very fixed mindset, a very narrow focus, and they're going to end up with a, you know, a way to have a compromise bias. So if they don't find what's agreeable to them, they're always going to be biased to the thing that they naturally agree with. So if it's hide the failures, don't address them, all of that, when it comes to making a decision, they already have this compromise bias inside of them that says, unless someone agrees with me on that, I'm not going to do anything different. You know what I mean? You, you know what I mean? They need to agree with me. I totally agree with you, Tim. And I too am a believer. I actually, when I retired from the FBI, I, I went, uh, completed graduate studies at um, a theological seminary. And um, it's I, you have, regardless whether you're a believer or not, people need to understand their values, because when it comes to um, the situations you're kind of just discussing here, when things don't work right, and 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 you're thrown a curveball, which was my last post. You, if you don't, if you're not grounded in some sort of value system, if you don't know what they are, then you're just like a sail, kind of just responding to whichever way the wind is blowing. And, and, and again, the ability to simply sit across from another person who has a different belief set than you do, who may disagree, to be able to find common ground is, is essential, may not be essential in school or with your parents backing you up and getting hiring you lawyers so you can get out of whatever jam you're in but when you're on your own at some point in life you really are going to you'll be let me just put it this way you'll be far more successful and far more effective if you can at least have the empathy at least if you can get out of your own self long enough and try stop trying to be your own god here and, and look at something else beside yourself and see the other person's point of view, you'll be far more effective and happy, joyful. I'm going to use the word joyful instead of happy. I think happy is a tr trite word. Joyful is far deeper and really reflects what I think, uh, where I think most people truly want to find themselves. Right. I have a lot of friends that happiness is the thing. There's books written on it. And I do believe it has a place, but I'm like you, it's joy. Happiness is temporary. Joy is something that remains. I give you $10,000, you'll be happy. But the joy is that you'll remember it was me in the relationship and where it came from, that this person really loved me, cared about me. See, that's the thing that remains because the money yeah. will go. That's happy. <laughs> I agree. I'm with you on that, Tim. Well said. Very well said. Thank, Thank you. You, um, you know, in, in this, especially in this emotional thing and seeing people, how they get shackled. Um, my big thing is your current condition doesn't match your emerging future. 
And, you know, the only thing worth having is uphill and you can't go uphill with downhill habits. And I just, I am trying to get people to understand that they can be more, do more and have more. And the reason for being is up to them. The reason for doing is up to them. The reason for having is up to them. They all have their set and their system of what that's supposed to look like. That's not my job to define. I just want to create those loose ends for them to tie up for themselves. So with that being said and seeing that emotional thing, how do they break those shackles away from themselves too, even as you have in your post, to be able to lean in to the struggle? Do they, you know what I mean? Because I think you need to lean into the struggle. There's a time you still may have some shackles to you from some old thinking, but you've got to break them in order to really be able to lend some muscle into the effort. Oh my God, I'm with you 100%. So my suggestion would be this, and some of this, what I'm going to talk about is actually based in neuroscience. But for right now, one of the main weaknesses we have when it comes to emotional competence is our vocabulary. So when we discuss our feelings, you know, we say we're fine or good. Basically, those are very weak words. So being able to effectively identify and describe your emotion allows you to take the next steps in order to process and determine correct action. So we need to be able to understand if we're angry, if we're frightened, if we're frustrated, jealous, concerned, worried, scared, whatever. And once we know what we're feeling, then we can begin to understand why. And I found so many people just will, will not acknowledge, I, 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 for example, I'm jealous or I'm envious. Let's just use those two wor- or those words because they don't want to appear that way, right? But if it is what you're really feeling, acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing, neuroscience, this is where neuroscience comes in. Um, and David Rock is the individual, the neuroscientist um, who has done this research. But that he has suggested the best thing to do when you feel a negative emotion pop up is simply name it in one or two words. If it is jealousy, just call it for what it is. I am jealous. Why, you know, why did this not happen to me? That is jealousy. But do not enter into a dialogue about it. Because once you do, you give that negative emotion, you, you give it tracks, you give it legs. And you start this internal dialogue with yourself. And all it does is exacerbate the problem. So acknowledge what it is, identify it in one or two words, and then move on. And this is something else that's very, very important, is that nip negative thoughts in the bud when they are at their weakest. Mm. That is so essential. So, So don't suppress it. Don't deny it. Admit what it is and nip it in the bud. Because it's at its weakest before you enter into a dialogue or you start ruminating on it. And we've all done that. We've, we've woke up in the middle of the night or we couldn't go to sleep or whatever. We've, we, we know when these emotions interfere. And so, um, and then if I may continue, the other key to that is, okay, you've, you've identified it, you've nipped it in the bud. And now Barbara Fredrickson actually has done more research, another uh, social psychologist, her recommendation, and actually she initially said three, but now she's expanded to five. When you have a situation that is just crappy, which happens a lot, right. it's important to take stock, what we just talked about, what is going on, and then look for five positive things to counter each one negative thing. And again, she initially said three, but recent research has said, you know what, those negative thoughts They're like Velcro. They stick. Positive thoughts are like Teflon. They just slide away. Mm. So you need, it's a ratio of five to one. So I I can, you know, give you some examples of how I had to do that when I was up against a very negative situation and I thought I'm not going to make it and how I just had to change my thinking. So these are some tools that your listeners can use. Yeah. And what I would, I would love for you to do that. And before you do that, I want to say something which is interesting because I would love your take on this, especially with your background in the FBI. One of the things I've been known to say to a lot of the people that I coach and, you know, first of all, people don't understand coaching and mentoring are different. They're not the same. They're not synonymous. So true. You know, and I am not a, I'm not their counselor either. 
I want mm-hmm. you to unlock it. I'm going to ask you questions. You're going to mastermind what's going on. Every now and again, I may take the coach hat off and say, well, let me tell you, I had a similar situation and these are the things that I did. However, this was my thinking behind it. Now, how can you think with that? Um, so in a coaching situation, one of the things that um, I've been saying a lot here recently, but in one recently, I had to really dig in with a person and say, listen, everything you say is so emotionally grounded and you have this struggle and this challenge in front of you. Your emotions have no capable, no reasoning capabilities. All reasoning is going to take place in your mind. And what I hear you talking about, if you're going to be in this struggle and you go into it, that's what I hear you saying is recognize, validate that it's there, nip it in the bud quick before you start having dialogue. You will never win. Listen, if your emotions are talking more than your mind has is reasoning, you will lose every single time. So true, Tim. And again, you know, mental toughness is managing your your emotions, which leads to thoughts, which lead to behavior. So they're all connected. I, it, it's it's it, they're all interwoven. And I love your approach. Well, thank you. And so, tell me, you said you had a situation of a five, you know, this five to one of situation. I mean, I love it. My my listeners, one of the things that they like is that I, you know. I, I interview a lot of successful people that have done this and that, and they have a plane or they, you know, make planes or, I mean, who knows who cares? I say this, I want to know how significant they are in their life, in their own life. Where's their significance? Because where their significance comes success. And the only way to understand significance is to go through some things. And I try to get people to say, because if you tell your story and how real it is, somebody listening says a person has a joy filled life. They're doing what they want to do. They're creating a life. They realize that they're the architect of their life. They have their belief system and they're sharing this story. I have that problem. And you see, now they go, it's not about your, they can get the steps later. They can get, here's now your five steps to now implement, but let's get past this thing first. So if you would share your five to one and a story, that would be awesome for my listeners. Sure. I would be delighted to. I'm always honored to share my stories. Um, and I, and I do believe we all have defining moments. We all have them. And, you know, you can listen to my story or somebody else's, but truly excavate the significance of your own stories and your own experiences to, to, to uncover those defining moments because we've all had them. And mine started when I was about four years old five years old, all the way through my ranch life and and continues to this day. So I am just encourage your listeners to look at their own life. Spend time with yourself. Nobody knows you better than you do. Nobody loves you more than you love yourself. At least that should be the case. So when I first got to the FBI Academy, uh, you know, I'm thrown in and I I was, you know, sort of a, 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 what can I say? A duck out of water. Um, but literally, uh, one of the physical fitness requirements was for us to get on a 25-foot diving board and dive into the pool, carrying an M16 on our shoulder, and then swim to the other side of the pool with the weapon. <laughs> and I had two problems. First of all, I was, I'm incredibly afraid of heights. And the second thing is, I can't swim. <laughs> I just never learned to swim. You're on a ranch in Wyoming. You, there, there aren't any cement pools, right? Cement ponds. So I, uh, I, but I had to do it. This was something I had to do in order to graduate from the FBI Academy. So I'm sitting, standing there, and uh, I watched as you know, even experienced swimmers would dive down and come up gasping, you know, for breath and trying to hold that weapon and swim to the other side. And so I got up there and it was my turn to go. And um, I literally thought I was going to die. I, I, I just did not know how I could do it. I, I, I would just drop to the bottom of the pool and that would be it. And so I had to start thinking about those five positive things uh, to, to, to let me go, to make me go forward, to allow my mind to, to take me there. And so I thought, okay, first of all, I can put on a vest, a life vest. So I, 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 I'll pop back up. I'm sure I'll pop back up. So number two, I thought, okay, the FBI does not want the lawsuit. My parents would launch <laughs> if I died, right? Third, 
I didn't ever hear of any, you know, new agent drowning in this test. So that was another positive. I knew that my coaches were right there beside me and they would come and rescue me. Plus my classmates were there, right? I mean, surely I would be saved. And then fifth, I really felt that God had put me in this place. I really felt this was my destiny. This is my, this is where I was to go. And so, um, while I thought if I took a step, I would die. I also knew if I didn't take that step, my dream of becoming an agent would be the thing to die. Mm. And so I did. I, I I just held my nose and I I dropped to the bottom and I came up gagging for breath. I actually crawled to the on the bottom of the pool to get to the other side, but I never let go of that weapon because that was part of the requirement, right? And so, you know, I, I was scared to death, but I overcame it. I just used I used my mind to overcome my the limbic brain that was just panicking at that point about about diving that far and into water when I couldn't swim. Wow. And that's powerful because there are a lot of people which every situation, even though it's not the same, the way it feels for them feels like that. Like the challenge you were facing, you know, there are people that can look at that and go, well, you know how people do that with their contests of stories. Well, you know what? I yeah. had to blah, blah, blah. It well, it doesn't matter. Don't, don't diminish the fact that what that person feels like, it is like your story. The fact that what you're trying to do is get people to understand there is a way to visualize these five points to cancel out what's going on. And I guess in yours, that five to one ratio, it almost have to be a five to two because you hate heights and you, I mean, you know, or 10 to, yeah, you need 10 to two on that one, but whatever you'd have to do, you'd have to deal with that. But that is a way that you dealt with the struggle. And you know what I love is that you, but you put the prize out in front of you and you said in that fifth thing, the last thing you said was you felt like this is what, where God had placed you. This yeah. is where you were supposed to be. And I cannot emphasize enough to people. They'll say that this thing is important to them. I really need to do this, whatever. They, I've heard people say, I feel like God, I don't understand. First of all, it's not God's fault. He's not going to do for you what he'll do through you. You have to be willing to actually take this chance and what I love is that you said it was a burden that you felt like you had to do this. You felt like it was something that was your vision and a part of where you were supposed to be and go. And what you didn't do was resist the demand that had to be placed on you that was necessary in order to actually do it. Well, uh, well said. And, you know, I think all of us or most of us truly have what it takes. We can pull ourselves up by the bootstraps if we'll give ourselves enough credit, if we will simply do the work on ourselves. Again, it goes back to emotional competence because it's not only taking the time to understand what others are thinking and feeling, but truly getting in touch with yourself first. Uh, and, 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 and that passion you're talking about, that thing, that, that call. If I may relate another story, when I re, uh, retired from the FBI after 24 years, I, I w it wasn't a forced retirement. I retired early. Uh, I spent 24 wonderful years, and I loved every moment of it. But I also knew there was something else I was supposed to do. Again, that thing you were talking about, where is God in the midst of all that? And I heard, I just always felt, okay, I want to write. And so I said, okay, God, we're partners on this. I am going to write and people would say, oh, wow, what a great spy novel you could write because I work counterintelligence. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I guess that's what I'm going to write. And so I sat down and wrote an, just an awful novel. <laughs> and it was so bad. I, I mean, nobody wanted to look at it. <laughs> and I, I, I sat there and it was so, it was probably one of the biggest crises of faith that I've ever had. And it had not to do with faith in God, but my purpose, my, my next, my path forward. How could I have misread this so horribly? 
I mean, I got panned from everybody who looked at my, my work. And I'm thinking, oh, my word, I, I don't know where to go now. I, this, this thing called passion, I, I, God, you've led me down the wrong path. I'm blaming you. And I did what I was supposed to do. Now what? And so I, I had a, a little pity party and uh, kind of felt sorry for myself a little bit and felt abandoned. And I thought to myself, okay, you can sit there and you can whine and complain and point fingers, or you can just get the lead out of your butt and do something about it. So I said, okay, it was the writing that I wanted to do that I felt led to do. And so I said, I'm just going to write about who I am. I'm The second half of life is going to be about unpacking the first half of life. And I started writing about my experiences and lo and behold, that door opened mm-hmm. and I'm going, you know what, God, it wasn't that I didn't hear your voice. I, I just needed to do a little experimentation. You know, I talk about investigating. There is never a case that you're ever given where you know how to solve it. I mean, right. those cases just don't, especially in counterintelligence, you can try one approach, you look at it, it doesn't work. Hmm. You fine tune it and you work your way around the problem 360 degrees until you find that soft underbelly. Well, what makes us think that finding our so-called passion or our direction or what's important to us in life is any easier? And so instead, of, I mean, just 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 my thought is, unfortunately, we stop at success too often. Yeah. You know, when failure shows up at our door, we say we give up. And we move on to something else and say, well, that wasn't for me. We keep kind of moving around until we find success. And then we stay there, whether or not it's truly what we want to do or what we should be doing. And and I always say, you know what? The only difference between a coffin and a rut are the dimensions. Yeah. So you can stay there in that comfortable position and be miserable. Or you can actually take chances. You can go out there and, and fail. You can go out there and and. And do the experimentation you need, the investigating you need. And who else is better? What better time serve than investigating yourself and investigating where your strengths are and where you want to go in life? Boy, that's time well spent. Yeah. And and speaking of that, um, I like how you gave the example of, you know, just the investigative process and that whole 360 in order to find that underbelly, to really find that that thing that finally, you know, and that takes, it's a process. It's a lot of time to find one small piece of evidence, but it's the starting point. Uh, you know, if you're spending your time whining and complaining or blaming other people, that's energy spent the wrong direction. And you're going to miss all the clues. I mean, you're going to oh, miss. Yes. Am I right in saying that? Yes. Absolutely. No, I totally agree with you because you're focusing, your focus is on what is wrong. And and then you dwell. I mean, not you, but I'm just saying people. Tend oh, I know to you're telling well, me it's me. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, you know what I mean. People t- tend to dwell. <laughs> I'm like you. I say you too, and people go, "You mean me?" <laughs> I'm like, "No, no. It's just my figure of speech. I'm not that eloquent. I'm not that eloquent." <laughs> <laughs> and here I am pointing fingers. You know, you, you. No, but um, but uh, you know, instead of really uh, taking the time to explore it and enjoy it, and for some people it does take years, and there's nothing wrong with that. And also, we continue to grow as people. We are not this. I'm not the same now at my age as I was at 25, and neither is anybody else in your audience. And so, as we change, mature, well, then maybe our approach needs to change and mature and grow with that as well. Wow, a great remedy. I love that. I mean, it just this come came to my mind. But hey, if you want a remedy for whining, do more exploration. Oh, I like that. <laughs> it just you know, I just <laughs> you know. You know, it, hey, it's, you know, you want to stop whining and blaming and accusing, start exploring, you know, like, yes, get out there and do something, you know, take a walk you've never taken, go into a place you've never gone. You know, I, I just, I love the way you think about that and talk about that. Like, how do you get when you're coaching people now, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, and please always, if I say anything, that's not correct. You have every right to put me in the right path here, but um, you, I know you work with male and female clients, but you do have a passion to help women as well with mental toughness. And I grew up with a single mom for a very long time. And 
I respect how tough she is. I have a hard time when people categorize anyways, you know, like, wow, she really does a good job as a woman CEO. And I go, and this is not a political correct statement. It's for me, it's more of a, well, what's the difference? Like, I don't get it because it's, it's in my paradigm. My paradigm was my mom made good and bad decisions, but my mom always had the grit and she toughed it out and she owned it and she continued. And you know what? I didn't turn out that bad. You know what I'm saying? And so, so for me, I look at that. Now, when you're coaching, what are some of the things that you see? Because, you know, there is, whether they're fabricated, whether they're real, I want to talk about, you know, what, you know, what is, they're really the real situations that people go through and how you help women with that mental toughness. Um, especially whether, you know, and I see it even if they're divorced and they have the kids sharing time, splitting time, co-parenting, or even in marriages, I still see they can almost be by themselves and they have entrepreneurial endeavors. They have, you know, work ideas, like things that they want to do. But I also see that they kind of struggle and they're stuck. Do you work with any of them? And if you do, how do you help them move through the emotions into the struggle and past the whining? Sure. It's a great question. And, you know, I have to say one thing. Um, I knew I was in the right organization with the FBI when, um, when they hired me because I was the best person for the job, not because I was a female. And I, I, I don't care what position we're talking about. This, this whole glass ceiling um, uh, discussion and conversation we're having, uh, it doesn't do any, any woman any good if an incompetent person is put in a position because they are whatever. And they looked at me and I was put, I was expected to be every bit as competent as any colleague. And there's no, you're you're not female, you're not male, you're not black, you're not white, or any combination thereof, you are an agent. And I appreciate that so much. Uh, And that's how we were trained uh, to to be, to cover one another's back, uh, to, to be there. Uh, not to be there for other women or just because you're a guy or whatever. And I truly just want to have people, women particularly, just everybody embrace who you are. And, and if you are competent, you will get the job. Uh, the, the problem would come in is if because you're, if there's discrimination, but I'm talking about an equal opportunity situation. So, um, you know what I'm saying? It, it, that to me is, I knew I was in the right organization with the FBI, but as far as women go, I, I, I find what I've been, it's been sort of interesting. Um, a lot of people, um, women, I will say, um, they see how men get to the top and it's perhaps not as graceful. There's a lot of clawing, uh, a lot of hard, hard skills applied. And so women now are kind of doing the same thing. Uh, they're, 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 um, they are becoming more aggressive and more try to use intimidation to get to the top. And, um, and now we find that women are dying of heart disease the same rate as men, right. you know what I mean? And, and they're, str- they're, they still struggle not only to rise to the top positions, but to stay there as, as well. So it, what my, my feelings are really women are so lucky because we are given permission to be emotionally intelligent, mm. to be and, and competent. What we were just talking about, men, little boys, not so much. So little girls are given, by, by society gives little girls permission to be em- empathetic, yeah. to use language that expresses emotions. And it places priorities on developing deep, and meaningful relationships starting with dolls. And so while both boys and girls can develop mental toughness through other ways like sports, boys who grow in demand, they just tend to rely on harder skills like aggression as their default reaction to stress rather than softer skills like empathy and self-awareness. And so that's doing our boys, our little boys, a great disservice as far as I'm concerned. But right now, I'm going to say, women, take advantage of it. I mean, take advantage of that. 
because that can be um, an incredible stepping stone to you for you when you run into issues in the real world. Um, and so what's interesting is that so many d studies have been done that indicate, well, first of all, women, it's assumed that women are simply more empathetic and have a, a, a closer touch of their emotions than men. It's sort of assumed that. But the bottom line is there's nothing in research, there's nothing in neuroscience that would that would support that. That's just that's just the fact. In fact, there was one test that was done, I think it was called the Hay Group, and they actually did a test with men and women executives. And um, they found out that when women were expected to be to score higher because they were expected to be more emotionally intelligent, they did score higher. But until they were told that, they scored the same. So a lot of it is this, this supplementing beliefs we put around ourselves, or in some case, it can be a belief about what we can do. Again, our mindset, very much what you were talking about, Tim. So it, 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 it's just that men and women need to find ways to tap into how to be in touch with their emotions. So again, so that they can respond in ways that are appropriate when they're confronted with a surprise, a curveball, a roadblock in life. Mm, that's so good. And I want to clarify when I gave the example of, uh, you know, the emotions and then leaning in and stop whining. I was using it in the context because I know you work with women. But I do want to say for my listeners, equally so, men need to manage their emotions, learn to lean into their struggle, and stop whining. So I didn't want it to, and I just want to say that for the record, that I don't view that one does more than the other. I believe kind of like ignorance has no race barrier. <laughs> I believe. No, I, you, you know, I just you feel hit, like. You hit upon a really important point, though. And a lot, so I do work a lot with women. Um Oh, actually, I think women um, want a strong female to talk to and to help get them to the next level. Mm. So I find that women seek me out more than men, although I've talked to a lot of guys too. But this is the thing I'm finding and that almost time, and it really doesn't matter where they are on that ladder of success. They can be at the bottom or they can be at the top. But when they are faced with tough competition, they're thrown into something new and different a promotion that puts them in, in an area where they're totally out of their comfort zone, that can happen at any level of, of, of career. Um, what's important is the number of times that they have allowed themselves to feel uncomfortable during their career path. So instead of always taking the safe route, try something. As you, you said it earlier, to have a Petri dish. Try something different. Try ex try experimenting with what it feels like to fail. I think one of the best things you can do in life is fail at something. Mm. And then take a long, loving look at why you failed, how you reacted to that failure, what emotions bubbled to the surface when you experienced that failure, and learn from it. Now, you're only stupid if you don't learn from that experience. And that doesn't mean you have to put your career on the line to do this. There's a lot of ways that you can put yourself into an uncomfortable situation where you do not know everything. I mean, I'll give you an example. So I was a counterintelligence agent for 20 years. I knew how to run the game, right? right. Then the SEC, special agent in charge of the San Francisco office of Northern California, asked me to be the sports uh, spokesperson for all of Northern California. And I said, no. I mean, and then I, he asked me again, and I said no again. And I really had to stop and think. The reason I didn't want to do that is I was so comfortable in what I, I knew what to do as a counterintelligence agent. As a spokesperson, I would be starting over. And I'm going, do I want that? And I'm thinking, wait a minute, what a great challenge that would be. It gave me, it was just what I needed to do. So I did. I started as a newbie. And uh, junior boots, as we call ourselves in, in the FBI. So um, I had to learn everything. But it was a great experience for me. So those are the things I'm talking about. So that when, whether male or female, but particularly women, I think, do have some of these self-limiting beliefs around what they think that they can accomplish. Maybe it's what 
their mom told them when they were a little kid, or maybe it was what a teacher told them when they were a little kid. A lot of our self-limiting beliefs, believe it or not, start by parents and teachers telling us what we can't do rather than what we can do. It sounds like your mom was just the opposite. She told you what you could do. That's right. Yeah. She said, she said, it, you know, the, just remove can't, won't, and all these other things. And let's get to what it is that you're capable of doing. Um, what's interesting is, um, you know, which is kind of neat because of the way I like to ask questions, but you know, I know that you're big into flow as well. And, and it's when things start to click, you know, when a time in your life, when you know that the changes that you're making and the skills that you've really been taking some time to develop, it's really believing, building your belief, you know, it's, it's, you know, change is hard, but it's what you believe about change that makes it hard. And so when you start making those shifts and adjustments and you start getting those things to work and creating that momentum, you hit your flow and your flow starts to take place and you really feel your flow. How do you not lose the flow as you're making progress towards the things that you want? I'm a big fan of Chief Set Me I, who came up with the um, concept of flow. And um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I've had kind of some several personal experiences actually of, of, of where that, how that comes out. I, this is where I think people, and I've worked with people to try to help them identify where flow would appear for them. And I think the, the misconception is that somehow there is this magical job this magical career that will just meet all, all of our passions and we'll say, you know, and that word I think is so overused as well um, because it's it, it seems to be a, a you know, we've, we've, we've romanticized it to where it's this thing we love to do and we get up every day and there's so many platitudes and inspirational quotes about, you know, if you find your passion, you don't have to work a single day in your life, all that kind of stuff. And I'm okay with that to a certain degree, but I also am a, I'm also a realist. And I think all of us uh, have to take a, a long loving look at where we are in life and not every job is perfect. So I'm going to say to you, I loved being a counterintelligence agent because I'm focusing on what I liked about it. There was a lot of stuff I didn't like about it as well. But what I did when I was in that situation, I looked at what I really like to do. And that's what I encourage everyone to do. Instead of finding the dream job, look at where you are now. Just look at it. And what are the things about your job that you really like? Now, there may be 10% of your job that you like and the rest, the 90% you don't. Focus on that 10% to see how and where and why you could move that into something that was more like 50% mm. or 70%. Because once you find what it is within your job, your current situation that you actually like, then spend your energy developing that. That doesn't mean you can forget the other 90% until you can start working on this, this, this 10%. And from there, see where you can take it because because these dream jobs this passion you're supposed to be following very few people that i've ever talked to have really just had it land in their lap and maybe i've just talked to a certain segment of the population that you know had to really kind of work for it i had to work for it i'm i'm going to assume that a lot of your 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 listeners do as well i'm also going to assume that some of them are in positions right now where they're saying wow i can hardly wait till i retire and i'll do what i want to do Okay, what is it you really want to do? Right. Why are you tiring in order to do that? Don't tell me it's to sit on your butt and play golf all day. I mean, and I mean, I'm not talking about wasting your life. I'm I'm talking about finding a way to invest your life in in what's around you. And so I, I think it's really important for people to sort of um, and 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 that's where you find your flow. Not that, that's what uh, Chick sent me. I was talking about when you really love something so much that two hours passes and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I, I just worked right through lunch. And and there's what is it about that that was compelling to you? And sometimes it's not always obvious. And again, it's like working in an investigation. It's not always just blatant. It's not just a neon shining light out there for you to pick up on. You may have to do a little digging and a little work to excavate it. And I think people also have to be willing to allow that process to take place as well too, because a lot of the joy, they're losing the joy of the journey because they're trying to 
some way expedite it. It's almost like, you know, I got to keep this. I got to keep it. I got to, I got to, you know what I mean? It's like a pressure and a mandate, you know, like it's supposed to manifest at this exact period of time. You know, I do believe you got to set a goal. The difference between a dream and a goal is a plan. And then you have a plan and you got to work your plan. But, you know, we're constrained by time in the hard bindings of time. But one thing we're not constrained in is the fact that we can invest in ourselves and keep doing the work. Mm, yes. Yes. You said something really important. We invest in ourselves. And I think that's um, a, a really, uh, and I like that term, invest in yourself by doing the hard work. And that is, again, the self-awareness, the the understanding of what makes you tick, um, look, d- dig, drilling down enough to really uncover what your values are, what, what, what your belief system is and live life according to that. Let's at least let that inform you as to how to make decisions going forward. And it just doesn't just happen. I mean, there aren't a lot of advantages of getting older, but I do think one of them for a lot of us is that we learn about ourselves. I'm much wiser now about myself, maybe about much else but certainly about myself than I was when I was 20 or 25 or 30. Mm. And and how important is mental toughness um, as it relates to, um, you know, we're prone to wander. uh, We're prone to pursue shiny things. And we're also prone to giving up and quitting. Let's focus on that one really quick. Mental toughness as it relates to the stick to it, the not quitting. The grit, the grit part of it. Um, and that's another component. There's the, the emotional competency is one component. This, another component is grit. A third is will uh, resilience. And then a fourth is mindset. But let's stick with the grit right now. Um, so mental. So, so this is so let me just say mental toughness is believing that you will prevail in your circumstances rather than believing your circumstances will change. So you talk about quitting or, you know, something isn't quite right. And, and I, I wanted, I want the, we're looking at something shinier over here. Um, it's really, really important to be able to control the way you think again, the way you think, because that's going to control your behavior. Um, and I, I'm always saying, you know, an optimist is somebody who believes that things are going to change in the future. You know, things are going to get better. A positive thinker is saying, you know what? No, this is the situation we're in. Let's find out how we're going to prevail in this situation. Mm. Uh, And there's a big difference there. Mental toughness is the positive thinker, the one who's going to prevail in their situation. Doesn't mean they're going to stay stuck in a job. Doesn't mean they're going to be in that rut that we're talking about. Is it a coffin or is it a rut? Um, But it means that they are going to be realistic um, observers of their situation. And they're going to, it's that mindset. They, that I will prevail in my situation rather than my, my, that my circumstances will overcome me. So, um, and I don't know if I'm answering your question, but uh, mental toughness, I think, is, is being able to focus. And again, if you know yourself well enough, and I, I start always start mental toughness by talking about emotional competence and then work down. Because if you don't know what who you are and what you want out of life, you're not going to know when to close, when, when to deal the hand or to leave. You're not going to know whether to give up or stick with it. Right. Right. And you're not going to know your true North. Yeah. You'll struggle with even knowing a true, with a true North. I say to people, you know, if you know who you are and you know what you want, it sure does make decision-making a lot easier. A lot easier. Because if you can't get that first, then the grit, grit is not going to take you anywhere other than being stubborn. Just sticking, yeah. sticking with it is not always, always wise. If it's not right for you, if you're in a situation, I mean, really, you got to be smart about it. Do you need to change your behavior or do you need to change your environment? And, right. and if you don't know what is making you tick, you're not going to know how to make that decision right there. A very important one. And that's where grit comes in. Right. And I think grit is different than willpower too. A lot of people, you know, well, I, could, no. I could just, 
you know, I'm going to will my way into this. I'm going to willpower doesn't really have any sticking power is what I say to people. And willpower needs a tool to work with. And that's when I say that would be discipline and discipline will be established when you have grit. So willpower will wield, you know, or is wielded by discipline. You know, if it was like a weapon, you know, it's kind of like wisdom. People go, I just want to be wise. And I say, get understanding first because (laughs) wisdom needs something to work with. (laughs) You know, it certainly does. Does. And and willpower encompasses, you know, again, um, you know, your your habits, your discipline, the persistence, determination, grit, all of those things. Um, and then again, something that's separate from willpower is resilience. Yeah. Uh, again, another important um, component. Wow, this is so rich. I love this. I de- we're definitely going to have to do another uh part here because i feel like (laughs) we could do we have so many things this is great i love it because you know this is my favorite thing and some people like you know gosh you get deep quick and i go i know i can't stand shallow you know i really can't stand i don't have time for it right and and nothing you know i've never seen any you don't learn to swim in shallow water (laughs) you know And, and i think the people that i think about who's on my mind the people that I want to serve. I don't think that they're a bunch of broke down, you know, lost people. I view them as people that they really want to do something different. They want to make an impact. Um, they, they, maybe they're busy. Maybe they've got two things going on and they've got a bunch of kids or they, you know, and soon as they sit down to start working on something, it seems like another thing pops up and they need to be able to put some cosmos to their chaos, you know, and, and, and be able to create that constellation. It's like, you know, not everybody sees the, the big dipper when they look up into the sky. Not everybody can see it, but they see a different constellation. And that's the thing. What is the constellation you see? When you look up in the sky, don't worry about what the other guy sees. Tell me what you see. And yeah. then let's let's map that thing out, you know, and that's the beauty of being who we are. These human beings that are so fearfully and wonderfully made, you know, that's so important to me. What's what's right there on the horizon for you? What are you reaching for as your emerging future um, with, you know, the people you serve and what you want to bring to the world? Sure. It's a great question. I, I, what's really on my mind, on my 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 heart right now, is to um, help people uh, identify those defining moments, their defining moments, to help them. Everybody understand that we've all had, we all have them. Everybody's different, um, and and for me, that's heavy on my heart because I think so many people give themselves short shrift. They don't lean into. The, their own greatness. And if I can do anything to, again, you know, another verb I would use to describe myself is an exhorter. Mm. I, somebody who, um, you know, I love to encourage people. So I, I think that for me uh, is, is, is the cusp of where I am right now in my career and uh, in life to walk beside people, to encourage them to walk into their own greatness, to take that step, literally, whether it's off that diving board or that step into the unknown, the step into the fear, whatever it happens to be that's keeping them back from taking their life to the next level. And I think that's so different for everybody. And uh, so a lot of self-reflection goes into that. And when I work with people, I want them to get to know themselves. And I think that's probably the most, the time well spent, uh, getting to know yourself is, is, um, it's, it's, it's great time spent. I was telling one of my buddies, I said, uh, I was like, man, I'm so excited. I'm going to interview, um, someone that was, you know, counterintelligence, FBI, blah, 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 blah. And he goes, you know, when you hit stop, she's going to say, no, I have some questions for you. (laughs) (laughs) He said, as soon as you stop recording, she's going to go. So where were you on this day? I would never do that. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. Well, um, I really do appreciate our conversation and there's so much here and I, you know, I want to go ahead and fleece you with this now that I need to have you back as a repeat uh, guest. 
You are so kind. I will say that I didn't have a stereotype for a person that was in the FBI. I do have a friend that's in Secret Service. Um, well, two friends, and they're very different. <laughs> but I didn't have one, and all I've seen is like Quantico and other things. Oh, that I are, know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not really one that you you, know, you can really kind of gauge anything by. But you are very pleasant, and I love that. Um, I love that you're real with it, and. Um, you just, uh, and, and the biggest thing that I love is how you've been able to take all your skills and everything you've learned and you've put them in an approachable and palatable way for people who actually can take that expertise and hear it and be able to apply it to their life and hopefully um, see their life turn into, you know, see the manifestation and receive the physical equivalent of what it is that they're pursuing. So, I mean, thank you so much for, for being you. Thank you so much, Tim. And same for you. I appreciate your authenticity as well. All right. Well, you've been listening to another episode of Uphill Conversations. Um, and remember that you can be more, do more, and have more. Everything worth having is found uphill, but you cannot go uphill with downhill habits. But the most important thing is for you to remember that people like myself and Lorray will see you on the hill. You've been listening to Uphill Conversations. If you would like to hear more, subscribe to the show. Go to uphillconversations.co. Later on, screen.